and welcome to a Hurry Up and Caucus edition of On Iowa Politics for Friday, January 31st, 2020. This week, assessing the impact of Delaney's departure from the race, <laughs> the caucuses, undecideds, closing arguments, Trump visit, Pence visits, and uh, Amy takes us behind the scenes. Uh, in, in all honesty, I have to disclose, disclose that uh, I could have told John Delaney the first time I met him that he wasn't going to be president. But as one of my newsroom colleagues pointed out this morning, you said the same thing about Donald Trump. It's, Hi. Yeah. <laughs> and look where we are now. So based on going 500, I'm asking for a contract extension. There you go. Yep. Hi, I'm James Lynch of the Cedar Rapids Gazette. With me today are Brett Hayworth of the Sioux City Journal. Good morning, Brett. Good morning. Amy Rivers of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, James. Aaron Murphy, Lee Newspaper Statehouse Bureau Chief. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning, James. And Gazette columnist Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. You can find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. Let's talk about the state of the race. Iowa is in caucus frenzy. This is like the state fair, Mardi Gras, March Madness, and Halloween rolled into one. Will a mid-major knock off a number one seed? Who's the Cinderella? Will it be trick or treat? Will we know when it's over? Historically, Todd, uh, the caucuses have produced some unexpected results. Just four years ago, uh, Hillary Clinton was leading Bernie Sanders by 49 to 46 percent, and she won 49.9 to 49.6. On the Republican side, Trump led Cruz and Marco Rubio 31 to 26 to 14 percent, and Cruz won with 28 percent followed by Trump at 24 and Cruz at 23. Um, most of us can remember Rick Santorum's late, very late victory over Mitt Romney in 2012 and the late surge by Barack Obama in 2018 to win the Democratic caucuses. So is it the nature of the caucuses to produce surprises or the nature of Iowans that make it so hard to project the outcome? I'm just still marveling at that paragraph from earlier where you, I've never seen that many uh, metaphors packed into one single paragraph. That was it's a gift. That was something. And then, you know, I think we all remember where we were when Rick Santorum won the caucuses. Maybe we were on vacation because it was like 12 days later. Right. Exactly. And we read it in the red. We read it and we read it in the Des Moines Register because that's they gave the results to them first. Yeah. So that was that was a terrific oh, that was a God, terrific series right. of events. <laughs> Thanks for bringing that up. As I recently heard the, yeah. the current chairman of the Republican Party say, that was one person's mistake. Mm. So I, I guess <laughs> it's not a team. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, 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 that's great. That makes us all feel better that it was yeah. only one person and not a conspiracy. <laughs> right. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, it, it, it surprises happen. And, that's, uh, and this one, you know, with, with the way the polling looks and – and, 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 you know, we've learned over the last few years that polling isn't all that it used to be, isn't all it's cracked up to be. The Seltzer poll is a, is a very good poll, but it's not always right on the mark, as we've seen. So, uh, you know, and all of the campaigns are, ta are, are talking about, you know, we've got momentum. And the Bernie people will say that he's surging. And the Klobuchar people, are, I think, were citing a poll that maybe came out yesterday that showed her in third, I think it was. Maybe was it Siena or Monmouth or... Uh, uh, Emerson, I think. Emerson? Yeah. Okay, I lose track. But uh, <laughs> sure it wasn't Quinnipiac, which I just wanted to say. Uh, but, you know, it's there will be there will be something unexpected. I mean, it could be, for the sake of the Democratic Party, they're, they're hoping that unexpected isn't, that their new rules cause some sort of 
you know, process collapse. Uh, and, you know, but I, th I think people are talking about, you know, where's, you know, Klobuchar spent a lot of time here. Where is she going to finish? Is that going to be, I mean, she's obviously from a neighboring state, put all her, put all of her marbles in this basket and is trying to get some momentum. Uh, you know, I think Biden has been drawing some good crowds in the last several days. So maybe he does better than, I mean, you know, he's supposed to be the front runner nationally, but I think we all know that, you know, he's not the front runner in Iowa. So if he were to come very close to winning or actually win, that would be a huge boost for him. So, yeah, it, you know, the, the surprises of the past, John Edwards getting, you know, that late boost. A lot of people said that the register endorsement helped him. I don't know. In, in 2004, I don't know that the register endorsement has that kind of boost for, for uh, Elizabeth Warren or not. Uh, at least they endorsed one candidate and not two, <laughs> which was nice. So, yeah, I mean. Multiple choice. <laughs> you you know, I don't know. Can, can a surprise be a surprise if it's expected? But I would expect a surprise of some sort. I like that. I like that. <laughs> Unexpected surprise. Plan on surprises. Okay. <laughs> you, hear, you heard it here. <laughs> Aaron, uh, you and, and the crack team of Lee newspaper reporters have been looking at the undecided voters uh, after, I mean, we've seen these candidates for a year or longer, and it's hard to believe anybody's still undecided. But, but what have you learned from these undecided voters? Uh, a couple things. Uh, one is that there's still enough of them out there, and, and uh, we're into our second um, go around with these folks and, and a couple, um, have, have made up their mind, finally did decide on the candidate, but a couple more have said that they're still having a hard time and, and may actually walk into the caucuses, um, still undecided as they walk through the door. Um, so it is pretty remarkable. Iowans are known as late breakers. Um, and it seems like that's being taken to the extreme, um, this year. The, the other thing that's been little, a little interesting to, to learn about these types of, of Iowa Democrats is that they don't always necessarily fall into the neat silos that you would expect. Um, it, it's not not every undecided is be deciding between uh, Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren or deciding between Pete Buttigieg or Joe Biden. Um, there's a lot of uh, mixing the matching uh, going on that, that you wouldn't necessarily expect. I talked to one undecided voter in an event, really, and they were deciding between um, Bernie Sanders and Michael Bloomberg. Um, all, all kinds of um, yeah, all kinds of interesting combinations out there. So the, the, the Iowa Democrats don't fall into the kind of neat uh, silos that we always uh, sometimes kind of assume um so it's been an interesting process and it'll be interesting uh like i said we followed up with them this week and and we'll have a story about that this weekend about whether they've made up their minds or not and we'll circle back one more time after the caucus mm -hmm. to find out who they did ultimately pick and, and how they finally <laughs> got there um that and maybe that's another interesting part too is we've, we've asked we've been asking people that too what why is this such a hard decision and and a lot of times they don't know the answer to that themselves. You know, we get a, got a couple of them who said, well, I'm not sure. I just, uh, um, I, I think it's partially the size of the field um, and partially the um, uh, significance of the decision they know they're making. Democrats are, um, uh, I think, fair to say, uh, 
feel a sense of urgency to win this election in the fall. Um, and, and Iowa Democrats are are um, uh, really uh, stressing over their choice here and which candidate to nominate, to, you know, to point to the rest of the country and say, here, this is the person uh, we think is is the right one to go up against Donald Trump. Brett uh, and Amy, I think you've been doing some of the reporting on this uh this project too. And, and Brett, I just wanted to ask you, you know, I mean, after, and, and Aaron touched on this, I mean, these candidates have been going county to county, door to door, uh, asking for votes. And, and what do undecideds have to say for themselves at this point after they've seen and heard these candidates for months uh, and years in some cases? Right. Yeah. And, and we uh, here, or I hear at the journal, um, wrote something similar, uh, not quite overlap with Aaron, but um, just last weekend, I guess it would have been nine days out, we published a story talking to people, basically sifting through their, their um, choices. And and um, um, the thing that a lot of them talked about is, is, is beating Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and I asked, I basically ask the same questions to everybody. You know, like, you know, who's in your field? Have you made a decision? You know, what what issues do you want? And and I asked this one guy, you know, top issues, and he says beat Trump. And and I thought he didn't understand the question. I said so. I said it again. You know, no, no. I mean, like issues that are of importance to you. You know, is healthcare. You know, immigration. What happened? No, beating Trump is, is what was his answer. Um, and so, and I, I've heard that a lot, uh, especially in the last two months, um, as I talk to people, is. They want a candidate who can can beat Trump, and but <laughs> with the whole indecision, they don't, they're not sure who that is. So it's it's very it's very interesting, and you know as to how they can be undecided, you know it's just there's, there's the wealth of options. People have said that all the way down down the pike. It's just there's so many candidates. It's hard to to sift through, and and you know you like someone on a on a Thursday. You think you're leaning somewhere, but then on Monday you you went and saw another candidate, and now all of a sudden they've kind of leapfrogged, and so. They're, you know, they're having a hard time, and but again, beating Trump, man, I've talked to so many people that that's top of mind. Mm-hmm. Amy, uh, as you talk to voters, um, and especially among the undecideds, is there anything in common with what they're looking for that will help them make a decision um, as they approach the finish line? Yeah, you know, I think undecided is breath right. They're a tough nut to crack sometimes because they're they're telling me so many reasons they're undecided. Um, you know, some are still racing to see as many candidates as they can, barring that, at least reading as much as they can. Um, and I think that's both progressives and moderates. They're each sort of seeing their share of undecidedness. I think moderates are most likely considering Biden, Buttigieg, Klobuchar, maybe a Steyer or a Warren, while progressives are sort of between Sanders, Warren, and Yang. I think part of it is really wanting to find maybe a winning candidate for some, you know, that candidate that everybody's sort of going to get behind and then they can get behind and feel like they're on the right team. But I think a lot of people are still struggling to find a candidate with whom they get the butterflies in their stomach. You know, they're wanting to really connect with someone and they just haven't yet. And I, I think Iowans being Iowans, they'll wait it out rather than force it. You know, they're like, oh, that's fine. It's not Monday yet. <laughs> you raise an interesting point talking about th- they want somebody who, you know, sort of gives them butterflies in their stomach. Uh, it, it, I think that's really a common thought expressed by folks. I mean, we tend to look at this maybe sort of analytically, um, you know, who's best on health care, who's best on, you know, the economy, those sorts of things. And yet for a lot of voters, it's 
there's a more personal, emotional sort of consideration um, that they're making. Mm. And, and, and Amy, I'm going to come back to you. Um, as you um, cover these candidates as they're coming through in the final days here, um, what are what are they saying in their closing argument? Are you hearing anything different, or is it just emphasizing the the main points that they've been talking about for months? Oh yeah, I mean, please help us make calls and knock on doors. Essentially, <laughs> is the only similar message between them all. Um, but no, they're still very different. I mean, Biden was in Cedar Falls on Monday talking about the experience and the polls that show him beating Trump in the battleground states. These are big issues that, you know, people are talking about, like Brett said, beat Trump. You know, he's definitely riding that. Um, Klobuchar was in Waterloo this weekend talking about working across the aisle. Uh, Buttigieg is positioning himself as that hip Washington outsider who nevertheless will plow a middle-of-the-road path to comfort his moderate, moderate base. And Yang hasn't changed his stump speech in the slightest. I saw him last night. You either like the idea of $1,000 a month or you don't. But like I said, campaigns are working to get every single voter out (laughs) Monday night. And I think whoever gets that done is really going to have the best shot. So it comes down to campaign infrastructure at this point. Aaron, um, you've been covering all the candidates this past weekend. And um, you're going to have a story this weekend, sort of the closing arguments. That will be... Uh, in the Lee and uh, Gazette newspapers, uh, do you know sun- Saturday or Sunday? Uh, I, it'll be filed tonight, so it, it'll be sometime over the weekend, okay. depending on when papers want to run it, after I see Elizabeth Warren tonight. Um, talking about closing arguments, anybody uh, have a- noticed anything other than what Amy was saying? Uh, it sounds like they're sticking pretty much to their their, their opening arguments in, in many cases. Yeah, I, yeah I, I'd, I'd say that. Yeah, I, but I saw Yang, same as Amy, and and, and by, I, I'm not hearing any new arguments or new issues being brought up. Um, the people I've saw, seen in the last few days, and the one thing I noticed is that, um, well, again, they're also throwing in, as Amy said, that you know, you know, get call your friends and make sure you turn, you know, it's a turnout sort of questions, but or sort of statements, but. I, I, what I've seen is that they've been shorter. It's just main points and shorter. And maybe it's because they're tired or they're trying to do so many events in a day. But it was these are shorter events than what what I had seen you know in months previous. I think uh, one wrinkle is that Joe Biden got a little assist from Joni Ernst on his closing argument. I mean, he's been saying all along yeah. that that Trump fears me and I'm the one that that could beat him and break a drum, he always says. And then Ernst sort of comes out during the impeachment process and is like, oh, I wonder how this impeachment process is going to affect Joe Biden on caucus night. And uh, that sort of gave Biden a kind of a gleeful talking point at the end to sort of reemphasize Trump's fear of him. Yeah, and and I was just going to add, I I agree that with with Brett and Amy that it's been mostly, at the most, maybe tweaked, versions of kind of the, the stump speeches and the, and the general messages we've been hearing these from these candidates for the longest um, time. Maybe maybe just drilling down a, a little bit finer on that message. Um, Pete Buttigieg keeps talking about the, imagine that day after the first day after Donald Trump is is no longer president. He's been saying that since the LJ um, and, and even earlier. Uh, he said that again last night uh, was a core part of his um, message, but but he also really, as as Amy noted, dug into that um, idea that um, that he's the Washington outsider um, in this 
race. Um, so that's maybe a new wrinkle. Bernie Sanders, I saw uh, a few days back before he got tied up with impeachment. Um, and his, his general stump speech hasn't changed in, in five years, much less in the last uh, year in, in this uh uh, I think if we, if you saw his first speech in the 2015 cycle and in, in his most recent one here, they'd be almost identical. Um, but but the one thing that was interesting at that um, event is he did talk about turnout. To, to Amy's point, he he was really putting, um, uh, really stressing to those people to, uh, that he believes. The higher the turnout, the better the chances for his campaign. And, you know, to don't just go to caucus, grab three or four of your friends and family and take them with you, that kind of thing. Um, there was a more concerted effort on his part to, to really focus on that turnout um, <clears throat> machine um, than I've heard him talk about in previous. So, so, so they are adding some little little wrinkles in there in, in this closing argument stretch run here to the caucuses. To uh, Buttigieg's point, I, I'm trying to imagine that day after the caucuses. Uh, <laughs> oh, that will be a nice day. <laughs> it's I know, so close, I know. Jim. It's so close. When yeah. <laughs> over Iowa, we hope the sun comes the up. <laughs> Our luck, there'll be some sort of snowstorm or something, and they'll keep them all here. <laughs> they won't leave. Yeah, they'll stay around for another <laughs> round of... <laughs> exactly. It's a horror movie. <laughs> oh, well, President Donald Trump, uh, whose policies on trade, farming, and ethanol have not always been popular in Iowa, visited Des Moines last night. Um, the news coverage I saw, it sounds like it was um enthusiastic um, rally. I know people were camping out uh, a day ahead of the rally to get a good seat. Um, and certainly there, there were a lot of folks at the legislature yesterday who were ducking out early to head over to Drake. Um, Todd, it's not surprising for an incumbent president uh, with only token opposition to make an appearance ahead of the caucuses to, to rally the troops. In Trump's case, uh, when he comes to Iowa, does he have to rally the base, or, or does he have to convince them to stick with him for another four years? Well, yeah, it wasn't surprising. I think what maybe was surprising th is that he... He came to warn us that the Democrats want to kill the cows, which I was unaware of. And I think all of you during the last few days of this campaign need to ask Democrats about the, what they, you know, do they plan to kill the cows? And then I think he said, come after us next. <laughs> so I think this, this is sort of a major issue that's kind of popped up right here at the end. Speaking of closing <laughs> arguments. I mean, I mean, this is, we're not playing around. This is serious. Uh, First so, they came for the cows. First they came for the cows. <laughs> My reaction to that was, <laughs> I know he was going after the, um, you know, the environmentally minded folks with that comment, but I, but I also wonder what he thinks uh, happens to the cows that become well, hamburgers well, and steaks. So, yeah, as, uh, as a practical matter, if they're going to make all of our hamburgers out of, like, plants now, I think that's probably good news for cows. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's... Obviously, this story needs to be reported out a little bit to fill in some of those cracks. But he's, you know, he's he he's rallying his base. He's getting people enthused, and he's injecting himself into the into the big news cycle with with most of the political media in the free world sitting in Des Moines. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, and I, I think he got quite a bit of coverage. I mean, our newspaper splashed him across the front page. So. 
he's just, you know, he's putting himself into the political conversation in Iowa and he's given his supporters something to rally around because, you know, they're, I think, you know, there'll be Republicans that turn up at the caucuses and maybe they'll turn up in decent numbers, but they don't, they don't really have a contest because, I mean, no offense to Joe Walsh and uh, former Joe Governor Weld. He's coming back. He is. He's yeah. in the state. So, uh, but I don't, I don't, I don't know that they'll make much of a dent in the Trump train. Brett, uh, you covered Vice President Mike Pence's rally uh, with, I think it was called Evangelicals for Trump, um, which sounds like the base of the base. Um, are, are they standing by their man, or are there any suggestions they're, they're starting to have reservations about four more years of Donald Trump? Well, uh, halfway in the, middle, or in the middle of the event, uh, a, a chant of four more years broke out and uh, was, was pretty extended. So <laughs> for the, at least for those 400 people that were in Sioux City yesterday, there, there was not much, um, not much question that, that they're, they're Trump fans. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, standing by by their man, it was it was interesting um, crowd that. And again, you know, we don't we haven't had Republicans. At least I haven't had Republicans to cover, you know, and uh, through this cycle. So now, just here as the caucuses are approaching, that that the Trump team is reminding people um, that there is still, you know, we still have to. There is a contest on the Republican side, but uh, I was expecting. Uh, I guess I don't know what I was was expecting, but with the evangelicals, I I was thinking maybe you know prominent ministers from Sioux City or or I or what have you, and it wasn't really that. It was it was just really cross section rank and file type Republicans that you that you know I, I would have seen it at a Trump rally four years ago, and um, you know the the rank and file people that that love Trump for. For reasons of guns and immigration and building the wall and, and all that and and Pence, you know, in in his comments he talked about faith at the beginning, but a whole chunk of it in the middle was was on the, the ways that that he said that Trump has delivered for for your average American and in terms of tax cuts and and all these things and um, I, I did notice that impeachment was just a very slight sentence or two at the very end and of course that that it was a sham process. And Amy, uh, you said there you, there's more to these campaigns than uh, meets the eye and more than the red, white, and blue backdrops uh, with the candidates being flanked by demographically correct supporters. Um, what else is there that, that we don't necessarily see at these campaign events? Well, you know, it's my first time covering the Iowa caucuses, and I really – so, I mean, it's a lot of firsts for me anyway. So I just had so much fun. I can't wait to do it another four years, uh, but not before. Um, but I, I decided to take people sort of behind the scenes with, with what I do, like how I cover campaign events and um, sort of my day-to-day routine and who I talk to and why, and then uh, make a – prediction on who I think is going to win. And uh, so that's all shameless plug and a new Courier podcast beyond the stories. So go check that out on WCFCourier.com or iTunes, etc. But talking about uh, covering the you know candidates and who's got the best shot, it's actually what's been most interesting to me as of late is how much international media is turning up at these campaign events. I don't know if you guys have seen this as well, but I stood next to a videographer from Norway last night at Yang, and I'm pretty sure it wasn't <laughs> Norway, Iowa. <laughs> and our Blackhawk County Democrats chair told me she's heard from media outlets 
from Sweden and Japan um, who plan to be on the ground covering precincts in Blackhawk County in our backyard. So that's really fascinating to me. I don't know if they're trolling us or what the deal is, but they're they're interested in our backyard. Yeah, the so international really media is always interesting. Uh, uh, I've, I've heard from the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation uh, trying to, you know, asking for specific things they're looking for in caucuses. Where's the most diverse caucus? Where, you know, those sorts of things. Um, Saturday morning, uh, Japanese TV is interviewing me. Um, I, I guess I'm going to be trying to explain the caucuses. Uh, if, if our relations with uh, Japan start to fall apart, it'll be my fault, I guess. Uh, but, yeah. It, it, <laughs> don't, don't, don't mention Godzilla. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I ran into uh, uh, a, a couple in Des Moines who both uh, worked on campaigns that no longer are active, and so now they're handling international media for the Democratic Party, um, and I guess that's keeping them busy. Uh, well, I think there are tours, like people, you know, tours being led from other countries where there are, you know, educational yeah. tours to come and see the caucuses. Right, right. Uh, so, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a huge deal. Um, wow. in that regard, and there's a lot of interest. As I guess, I guess we shouldn't be surprised that there would be a lot of interest in, in the elections and the the process leading up to the elections. Um, Aaron, remind us uh, of what the caucus coverage uh, you've got coming this weekend. We mentioned you're doing a story on closing arguments. Um, what else is Lee uh, offering this weekend? Yeah, we got uh, a couple things we talked about that I'll remind folks. You mentioned the closing argument story. I was able to see all of the uh, five polling leaders this week to, to, to hear what they're saying um, as their closing arguments. So we'll have a story that kind of summarizes all those. Um, uh, we mentioned the Undecided series. We got the second uh, version of that, um, calling it the Undecided 2, even Undecideder. Uh, so that, that should be an interesting one. <laughs> uh, um, we'll also have in this for for loyal listeners of this podcast, maybe not as valuable for them. But if you know any people, uh, if you got any friends who are um, suddenly interested in the caucuses and are maybe planning to caucus for the first time, uh, we've got a caucus 101 package coming out. Uh, just a simple um, info kind of how-to piece. Uh, with some graphics on the caucuses and, and how they operate and, and what to expect, um, that sort of thing. Like I said, more for people who are new to the new to this uh, game uh, that the rest of us are so familiar with. And then the other thing to watch for on uh, uh, planning for Monday for the day of um, uh, publications is um, it, it's going to be interesting this year with the um, – and we've touched on this in past podcasts, but with the state party – um, uh, now also publishing not just the state delegate equivalent totals at the end of the night, but also the first uh, preference totals and the uh, final alignment totals. So we're going to get three rounds of results um, in, in this caucus, and, and, and it'll be interesting, especially if some of those are different. If someone ultimately what the party is stressing and, and what remains most important um, objectively is are those state delegate equivalents because that's what leads to the national delegates, which is how we choose our nominee. Um, but that first preference number is going to be interesting, especially if that the person who gets the most of those is different from the person who gets the state delegate equivalents uh, at, at the end. Um, so, so there's all kinds of possibilities with that new 
um, reporting. And uh, so we talked about that with uh, um, some folks uh, who know the Cox as well around here and, and what that could look like. So that'll be in Monday. So, and on top of that, um, uh, uh, Amy and Brett and our army of reporters and you, Jim, will be running around all week following these candidates around. So plenty of caucus coverage in your Lee and Gazette papers uh, this weekend leading right up to Monday. Thanks, Aaron. And um, Todd, um, here we are. It's, it's Friday morning. So we're, uh, you know, just a few days out from the caucuses. Um, what's on your mind? What, what are you going to look for Monday night? Well, I, I wrote a column for Sunday, you know, marking the, the sad farewell to the media that will be leaving us. And also I, I, to, to, mark that, to help children understand that, I rewrote a, a popular children's book. <laughs> so it's just the typical stuff that I do. Good night, Moon. Yeah, actually, it is. Oh, okay. Good, goodbye, media. All is right. what it's going to be called. Be nice, nice for all of you to, to read the children over well, the weekend if you have a spare moment. And well, or if we had children, but uh, <laughs> some people might. We'll find some. They're okay. all over the place. You They're see them over. everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Watch hey, for that. James. Yes. Yes. Before we go, I just got to toss this in because this just popped into my email, and we we're talking about the undecided. And this is perfect. So this is you'll see this in the story. One of our reporters just passed this along. And, and please, everybody, just take a moment and listen to this sentence. Just days from the Iowa caucuses, Crystal Meyer, a longtime caucus goer and Mason City resident, has narrowed her field down to four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's pretty much that where we are. Yeah. Yep. And that, folks, is the Iowa caucuses. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, a, a reminder as we go that as part of our caucus night coverage at the Gazette, we're inviting people to tell us about their caucus experience. After caucusing, go to thegazette.com slash mycaucus and send us a message about your thoughts at and after the caucuses, what happened, what worked, what didn't, and anything else you'd like to share about the caucuses. Uh, <laughs> That's it for this edition of On Iowa Politics. Uh, next week we'll be back talking about the results or something else, the new president or, or whatever. Or day four of the – five of the recount. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a hanging chad? Oh. Anyway, I hope it's been worth your time. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher. Fan mail may be sent to oniowapolitics at gmail.com. And you can find us every week on the home pages of the Quad City Times, Sioux City Journal, Muscatine Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. The Olympics will take us out. If you know a band or talented Iowa musician who should be on our show, send us a sound file. And remember to follow us on Twitter and subscribe to On Iowa Politics at iTunes and Stitcher. For Aaron, Brett, Amy, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening. Happy caucusing.
a murdering girl, and she stuck him real good. That's for sure.